יוד חט אדר בית תשע"ט. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We have a great life. Our life is a bowl of cherries, to use a different uh, phraseology in English, and I'll explain to you why I picked that song to start things off. Welcome, welcome, one and all, 
to this week's live edition of The Israel Show. We're coming to you uh, each and every Monday, immediately following JM and DM, 9 a.m. Eastern. And for the last time uh, this year, probably uh, 3 p.m. Israel time, Israel changes clocks on Thursday night. So we'll be back to seven-hour difference, and it'll be a 4 p.m. live time in Israel. You can listen to us whenever you want, on demand, on demand. You just say it. Well, sort of, I guess you could tell Siri or Alexa or whatever. Oops, maybe I shouldn't say those words. Something will start turning on here. Um, on demand, whenever you want to listen to it, it's on the um, archives of the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find it on the great Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available for free, iTunes, Android. And you can download it into your device and listen whenever you like. It's like an amazing thing. Or you can go to NachumSiegel.com and listen on the archives there. You have it all there. And you know what's very important to us here is that if you listen to it and you like it and you think there's someone out there, a friend of yours, who would also like to listen to this type of programming, please tell them about it. They can listen whenever they want as well. They can join the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. And of course, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is now, that's the time we're on. So write it down and don't forget. I had a playlist set for the songs last night. I woke up early this morning to the news of... uh, I'm going to assume that you've all heard it, but we'll just... uh, Shared briefly with you, a rocket was fired from Gaza, from southern Gaza, into the center of Israel, into the Sharon area. Give you an idea, about five miles from Ra'anana, less than five miles from Ra'anana, less than five miles from Kfar Saba. Really the center of the country. It's interesting to me that they didn't have a concern that it would veer a little bit and hit some Arab villages. But it hit a house straight on. You could see online, on news, wherever the pictures of this house, which is devastated. Thankfully, only light injuries. But that that's not something we should uh, let go. Just, oh, light injuries. Light injuries could could be with somebody for the rest of their lives, could affect how they live. Not to talk about the trauma that the children who were in the house w- went through and the people in the area. There was tremendous um, damage, you know, hurt throughout the area, uh, um, uh, booms hurt throughout the area, shattered glass in homes in the neighborhood, This is enough to shake up young kids and adults as well. And the only reason, by the way, they say, uh, the family says that the reason that, thank God, that's the first reason, nobody was uh, really hurt or killed, which could have happened, is because they ran to to a safe area in the house, which they uh, had practiced previously. It's um, it is a, a crazy thought. I, I don't know. Can any of us think about God forbid, 
in the middle of the night or close to the morning a missile just just landing on our house and destroying a part of it you have to see pictures do yourself a favor go online and see the pictures I'll also post one up on our Facebook page uh, after the show with together with all the other links and stuff just last week on the show we I was speaking about Gaza because of the bombing in Tel Aviv and I said and I still believe we Israel the Jewish people but the people of Israel obviously we boxed ourselves into a corner that I don't know that there's a way out of and that's the problem elections this one that one will lead I don't think anybody has the answer this policy that policy they've tried it all at the end of the day we're boxed in we've boxed ourselves in and there's not much we could do go back into Gaza I don't think Israelis have the stomach for it. They might have the stomach for it for a day or two. After that, they'll want out because then, God forbid, people will start getting killed. Young men and women, soldiers, and they'll start clamoring to stop. Don't go into Gaza? Well, you can't be very effective if you don't go in there and clear it out. And who's going to lead Gaza? You're going to kill the uh, the leaders? Okay. So there'll come other leaders. And the world will uh, get together and they'll have flotillas and all the pressures will come to bear. But one thing that we can take away from this of, of, of value in the future... Don't make the same mistake in Yehudan Shamron. Just any time something like this happens and you read an article about just substitute Gaza with Judea and Samaria, or as they call it in the press, the West Bank. Hamas will take over. There will be missiles flying at the airport. Which is why most Israelis... Which is why I would say it this way, which is why the left in Israel that supported what was called the two state solution, they have lost their power because it, it, I think people have come to realize that it is not a solution. And those who still talk about it are people that really have no clue about what's going on in Israel. And what's the solution there? I don't know, and maybe there isn't for this generation, as many Israelis are saying now. Maybe there just isn't a solution for this generation. Prime Minister Netanyahu has canceled his APAC uh, speech, which was supposed to be yesterday, and I'm sure from an election perspective, that's going to hurt him. That's a place that he always shines. He will be meeting with President Trump today. And um, amazing, 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 amazing. President Trump is going to sign 
a declaration stating that the United States of America recognizes the Golan Heights under Israeli sovereignty. I don't care what the rest of the world thinks. I think it is uh, something that we should be celebrating big time that the superpower of the world has recognized that the Golan Heights comes under Israeli sovereignty. It is truly amazing. Listener Moshe asks, what about Iron Dome? Thank you for reminding me about that. Iron Dome, which shoots down the missiles, can only do so when the battery, the installation of the Iron Dome, which is, which is um, moved from place to place, is within the area that the missile is coming at. This was a total surprise. And so there were no Iron Dome batteries anywhere in the area. Same thing at Tel Aviv, by the way. Uh, when was it? Last week or so. When uh, the, the, there was no Iron Dome in the area, and so it can't shoot it down. It only works if, if it can shoot it down. And I think that if it's in the area, and I think that one of the doomsday, not doomsday, but one of the catastrophic scenarios that the Arabs led by Iran and Iran's clients Hezbollah and Hamas have in mind would be that the missiles would be flying from the south and the north at the same time and there's no way that Israel has enough batteries of Iron Dome to cover that that much territory and trust me up in the north we're a little complacent about it but there are hundreds of thousands of missiles waiting to be fired at Israel and all this, two weeks before an election, I, I hope people wake up and realize that the real issues of the elections are not cell phones and, and, and stock, stock market, account, uh, um, stock sales and so forth, most of which on both sides really don't mean anything. I guess... The reason we end up always talking about that is because on the bigger issues, nobody has any solutions. Not, not Gantz, not Netanyahu, not Lapid, not any of the people who want to be prime minister. More of the same. I am afraid that that is what it is. Um, APAC conference is uh, going on right now, and we're going to try and we're trying to keep uh, keep up on what's going on there. Big blow for them that the Prime Minister had to cancel, but I'm sure it's uh, well understood by all the participants. Um, brand new music by the great Ariel Zilber. It's called Hageula, the Redemption. Talks about how great the Geula will be and uh, how much we are waiting for it. Ariel Zilber, Hageula. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank <laughs> you. 
צריכים לדעת There's some element of comedy <laughs> to listening to Ariel Zilber singing some uh, some of the lines there in Yiddish. I got <laughs> I gotta say that's very funny. Uh yeah yeah. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're um, trying to keep on top of the news from Israel. The blast of the missile that came down in uh, in the Sharon area, the center of Israel. The blast was so strong, 30 homes in the immediate vicinity were uh, damaged. Wow, that, that's pretty crazy. And according to reports from Israel now, there are um, forces being, Israeli army forces, being sent down to the south, plus, plus they have closed, the army has closed several major arteries going down to the area, and agricultural work has been stopped, something that would uh, portend uh, the beginning of some military activity. One thing is for sure, I don't know what they're going to do, but if they don't do something drastic, and this just will keep happening, if they're not afraid, and clearly they're not afraid, of sending rockets and missiles into the heart of Israel two weeks in a row, if they're not afraid, then... uh, Israel has has a lot of work to do.
to um, get the balance of fear back to where it should be. Um, something that came up during the week, uh, one of the uh, news networks in Israel, a recording of Benny Gantz. Now, you know, I think by now we all know that the media is uh, tilted towards the left. They want to see Netanyahu out. And so they, like the media here, there's, there's just, at uh, this point, it's not not even a question. It's not like even hidden. Um the hatred for the media here of Trump. Now they're in big trouble because they didn't find uh, any collusion. They're going to have to figure out what what to do now. But um, the media in Israel that are very strongly in favor of the Gantz party, so even when they get an amazing scoop with recordings of Gantz saying the craziest things, they'll report it very quickly It'll be over in a minute and a half, and then you won't hear about it again, except for Wendelie Could puts out um, some videos. I just found it astounding, astounding, I must say, that Benny Gantz is talking, and now this was recorded in a private meeting, so he has no compunctions, at least he didn't think that he should have any compunctions about saying whatever he feels, and what it turns out is that Benny Gantz is a conspiracy person who has this whole th- conspiracy theory in his mind about how Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, if he could, would kill him. Im Netanyahu If Netanyahu had a way that I would be harmed, that they would kill me, Huayao says that he would do it. The recording isn't great, but hopefully you'll make out the words. Right? But wait, there's more. In Benjamin Netanyahu if Benjamin Netanyahu, of old, let's say, the Benjamin Netanyahu that I know. If he would, the Benjamin Netanyahu of old, would want me to be harmed, the answer is no. But is Benjamin Netanyahu on the eve of the elections okay with it, that I be harmed? Yes, I'm afraid I have to say that. I mean, are we serious? Like, he's seriously talking about Netanyahu putting out a hit on him? I'm trying to figure out where he's coming from and how this is a leader. Here's Here's the part we just said. All right, I, I I I don't know how well you can make out, but the clips are short, so we'll we'll keep going now. Then he talks about the cyber attack on his phone, which took place back in December, I believe, and was leaked to the the media to uh, uh, Amit Segal of Chadashot Shtemesrei was leaked to him 
and became a major part uh, part of the election campaign, which, again, I think is just silly, but it did. And Gantz, unfortunately, as an unskilled campaigner, didn't know how to put an end to it quickly. He could have. He could have just gotten up right away, talked about it, get it out of the way. But he, you know, when you don't do that, it ends up um, continuing to to uh, grow and grow and grow, and then it's very hard to put down. So here's what Benny Gantz says. Okay, he says, if it's not the enemies, meaning if it's not Iran that did broke into the phone, who is it? As me, Osedze. Echem Osimense. Well, then he says there's a chat mishtef shariot. There's one of two choices. Shrut achat. Now, this is his conspiracy theory of how he believes Benjamin Netanyahu orchestrated and cooked up this whole thing that somebody should break into Benny Gantz's phone. Zeshehem, meaning the Likud, lokhim anashim pratiim shosim pu'ulot cyber kaila vachirot. They hire private cyber hackers to break into the phone. Efshirut shniya, shihim matimale bibi, a second option, option two, which is very bibi. BBS-esque, if you will. Although I don't give it a high chance of that this is what happened. That he is using the Russians to intervene in the elections, meaning he got Putin or some other, somebody in the hierarchy of, of Russia government to hack Benny Gantz's phone. And mind you, it's the Shin Bet that came to Benny Gantz and told him that Iran broke into his phone. And is he hinting that there was collusion with Russia? You know, they hid it very well, the, the, the media. In fact, I even as I was watching the report on the news in Israel, you know, they put up um, what they call a chyron. They put up a, a graphic in the back with the words that are being said because it's hard to make out all the words. It went by so fast. It was on and off the screen within seconds that I could barely read it. The entire story was a minute and 20 seconds, and then we're on. Now you might say, why, why is it such a big story? Because it tells you that inside, in, inside of this man, there's something, something just doesn't sit right. This whole conspiracy theory of how they broke into his phone and Netanyahu would, would put a hit out on him. And the last, seg- the last piece, maybe they knew what they were doing when they didn't let him go public at the, most of the campaign. They've been keeping him... Uh, they've been keeping him off, um, off the public uh, channels. Only with uh, when he had a when when he could read a speech off of a teleprompter. So the last thing is the last piece he says Benny Gantz says about Netanyahu. Haish hazeh yodeh shehu holech lakela. Who yodeh shehu holech lakela? 
This man, Netanyahu, he knows he's going to jail. He knows he's going to jail. He knows that no matter what scenario happens, he's in jail. And how does he figure that? Gan says, If he's voted out and ends his term as prime minister, or maybe if he's elected and then he resigns or whatever it is because of the trial, he's going to be convicted and he's going to go to jail. Now listen to this. If he ends up not going to trial, not being tried on any of the indictments, he doesn't go to jail. He stays home with his wife, Sarah. He's in jail. Meaning, being with his wife at home is being in jail. Boy, if somebody else would say it, they would get they would get it up and down. The only place that he's free, that he's not in prison, is in his office. I don't know. I know it didn't get a lot of headlines, but to me, these were um, troubling to hear this recording of Benny Gantz, who wants to be the next Prime Minister of the State of Israel, and who was Chief of Staff. Yeah, sometimes these <laughs> these are very scary items. We'll go back to some more music. Last week we um, debuted Chai Gapso and Lihiot, and it got uh, some rave reviews from our listeners, so we'll uh, share it with you again. You can enjoy it, and we'll put the uh, link up on our Facebook page so that you could watch the YouTube video at your leisure. Lihio Chai Gapso, that was debuted last week. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> את תמיד צוחקת, שאני לבד בחושך זה יותר פשוט מזה אומרת ומושכת, אמרת לי שאת פה שאני יכול לבכות ותמיד את שם, תמיד נורב תמיד ליד, תמיד נכאב תמיד לבד, תמיד איתך ואת להישאר פה וכמה זה פשוט לדעת שנגעתי שוב אומרת שאת פה וזה בסדר לפעמים לצחוק כשהרוח חזקה ואני ממשיך הלאה מחבק אותך חזק ומומרי תמיד למעלה איך את מחייכת כשאני רוצה להיות ותמיד את שם תמיד נורא תמיד ליד תמיד נכאב תמיד לבד
Shala and Ketz, the Dudaim, sort of. Israel Goyon and Asaf Hamdorsky off of their album. It's one of the Dudaim and the, the son of one of the Dudaim. Well, we have reports that our stream has been going up and down a little bit. For those of you listening live, we apologize. We hope it's going to be steady now. For those who are not listening live, 
you hopefully will not hear this part of the show. <laughs> so, um, this past weekend saw the death at the age of 92 of a gentleman by the name of Rafi Eitan. So when you think of James Bond, when you think of what he looks like, what comes to mind? The debonair, the tall, sleek, strong, charismatic, Well, the real James Bonds, very few of them are actually like that. Most of them are more like Rafi Eitan was. He was, by far, one of the main spymasters of the state of Israel. Short, a little chubby, looks a little schleppy dick, if you will. (laughs) <laughs> just just the opposite of what you would think a spy looks like, a James Bond looks like. You know who else was like that? Yitzhak Shamir, Allah Shalom, the great prime minister of the state of Israel, worked for many years in the Mossad in Europe, all over Europe. Short, gruff-looking, not a little disheveled. Raf Yaitan was probably one of the last of the founding fathers of Israel's spy and intelligence community. Um, Everywhere that you will see anything about his life, you will see probably two things, even though he did so many more things in between those two, we will probably know very little about those other things. The first thing you will hear about is that he was the commander of the group, of the team that captured Adolf Eichmann in Argentina. That was in 1960. We've spoken about it many times in the past. But he was the mastermind. And um, once, you know, months and months of preparations were, were finished, and they knew that that man who calls himself now Ricardo Clement, this is in 1960, who lives in a small, little, almost hut of a house, they figured out that, in fact, he is probably Adolf Eichmann. And they watched and watched to see his daily routine seeing that he comes home by bus from his place of work like some gray bureaucrat with a briefcase and a raincoat. They noticed that he came off the bus pretty much the same time every night. They set up right near that bus stop where he came off and started walking towards the house. They set up in that area a car as if broken with the hood up and there were three of them, and they were trying to figure out how to fix it as if. And every time the bus would come, they'd look, but he didn't come. And then the bus that he's supposed to be on doesn't come. And they think, after all this work, we may have to just clear out. And who knows if we'll get another chance. Maybe neighbors saw, will say something, will scare him off. 
Raphael Tan says, no, wait, wait. Just had an instinct. And he had a lot of guts and he was ready to take a lot of risks. And five minutes later, bus stops and out walks Ricardo Clement. Now, you have to remember that Rafi Eitan is a very sly fox. He's a spy. He's a spy master. I've heard him tell different stories, different versions of the same story in different places. (laughs) And I don't know which one is true because he he just has a way of looking at the camera with a glint in his eye and making you believe what he says. So in all the reports and in his own accounting initially, He talks about how the person who actually grabbed Eichmann and threw him into the car was, um, what was it, Tzvi Malkin, I believe, was his name. Yeah, Tzvi Malkin. And it makes sense because uh, Rafi Eitan, as we said, was not a physically uh, large person. And then once in the car, he took a blanket and covered Eichmann, still not 100% sure that it was, and he started feeling his body because they knew that the Eichmann, that Eichmann, the real Eichmann, had a certain number of of cuts in his body, whether it was one that they did for all SS people and one where he had an operation and so forth. And ultimately, after he went through all these different places that he knew that Eichmann had scars, he said, Zehu, it's him. And for a short moment, writes Ronan Bergman, they sang a few words of the Shir HaPartizanim, the songs that the partisans sung and was written in honor of them who fought in the forests against the Nazis. And that was, to a great extent, that generation of the Mossad, of the Shin Bet, who came out of the Holocaust and said, he didn't, Rafi Eitan didn't, let's just be clear, but many, many others, Tzvi Malchin, one of them, um, came out of the Holocaust and said, we are here, we are Jews, we have guns, we will operate covertly if we have to, and we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again, and we're going to show the world that Jewish blood is not Hefker. Here is... um, Rafi Eitan telling about his feelings as he realizes that he has, he is actually holding Adolf Eichmann in his hands. The <laughs> 
את הרעד ואת הלמות הלב ואת התחושה הזאת של האיש בידיי, אני לא אשכח, לא אשכח אף פעם. says he felt Eichmann shaking and Eichmann's heart beating so strong that he thought it would burst. And he was saying to himself, I'm holding Eichmann in my hand. And that is a moment that he will never forget in his life, of course. And this is a, not surprising, but an interesting thought he tell, talks about a little bit we won't play that part but he talks a little bit about that Eichmann is told in German that he should not say a word that Eichmann somehow claims later that he understood based on the German accent and, and how it was spoken that the person speaking it is Jewish and then Rafi Eitan says Yoter Muchar Amar Gam שכל ימיו חשש, חרד וציפה לרגע שייתפס בידי ישראלים. הוא אגב חשב שמיד יהרגו אותו. He told them that his entire life, up until that point after the Holocaust, he was petrified, he shivered and shook as he should, that the Israelis will catch him. And he was sure, he said, Eichmann said, that they would kill him. Well, obviously, because that's what they would do. Rafi Eitan was involved in so many different operations. The book by Ronen Bergman... which came out in English supposedly because uh, the censor, he put stuff in there that wouldn't go through, the, wouldn't be allowed through by the Israeli censors. I'm not thrilled with the whole book, but it does have a lot of information about the history of the Mossad. It's called Rise and Kill First, right? Hashkem Lahor Go. And in there he talks about another situation of Rafi Eitan that was involved with um, using the use of uh, a, a former Nazi informant and the issues that went through that. It just It's fascinating what this person did in his lifetime. Later on, he became a minister in the Israeli government, one of these fluke parties. But um, unfortunately, at the end of his life, he got caught up in the Pollard affair. He was the person who enlisted Pollard into the Mossad. And when push came to shove and Pollard was caught and came to the parking lot of the Israeli embassy in Washington seeking asylum, it was Rafi Eitan, by his own, um, by his own uh, admit, admittance, who said, throw him out. So we're going to play a few cuts from an interview that he gave on the Pollard affair. The first one is him telling exactly the story about how they came to the embassy, the phone rang, and he, without hesitating, said, throw him out. And he said, I have no regret. I would have done it. I would do it again. Because 
let's say they would have given him some asylum in the embassy, the United States government would come down so hard on Israel and say, give him up, and we'd have to give him up anyway. Here's Rafi Yitam from my... You'll hear the difference in his voice. You'll see how many years went by uh, from uh, Uvda. When he says, I, I, I have no regrets, the interviewer says, I didn't ask you if you had any regrets. And he also says that it was Pollard's fault, that Pollard was given away by the Mossad to flee once he realized that he was caught, and he decided not to use that option. Um, once he decided that this is the way he was going to operate, meaning that he would come to the uh, come to the embassy, then he uh, sort of sealed his own fate. And then what happened was that the United States was furious and uh, was furious at Israel for spying. Uh, well, now we know that the United States spies on all the leaders all over Europe and all over the world, but at that time we didn't know. And Eitan, Rafi Eitan, fell on the sword, so to speak. He said, I, it was a rogue operation. The government didn't know about it. Prime Minister didn't know about it. Defense Minister, nobody knew about it. It was all my fault. And in doing so, he says, not only did he save, save Paris and Shamir, but he saved Israel. אני מראש אומר, אני לוקח את כל האחריות עליי. אני נתתי את ההוראה. רק אני נתתי את ההוראה. אף אחד לא הסמיך אותי. פתרת להם את הבעיה. לא להם. פתרתי לעם ישראל את הבעיה. I solved the problem for the people of Israel. Later on in life, in these interviews when he's asked did they really know he says no but later on in life he gives another interview and where he basically says they did know I fell on the sword because it was the right thing to do but they did know you'll listen to this last clip and at the end when the reporter asks where he asks him did they know he says he doesn't want to answer and then he says but did they know and he's, he says by not answering you're, you're, you're giving an answer that they knew didn't they know and he says but I should have to of course they knew that we had a spy in the United States. <laughs> it's obvious, Baruch. Of course they knew. Ay, ay, ay. You never know with him. You just never, never know. I want to close off with a new song that came out, I think within the last day or two, by someone by the name of Avraham David, Yehudi Zehachi, 
being Jewish is the best, but it's also plain words on you. Jewish is my brother. It's a, it's a whole, not a half. It's a huge power. It shines throughout the world. It's a special breed. We are one people. Eretz Yisrael porachat, zarachat, wamash me'al kulam. The land of Israel, which shines, opens its door. Any Jew that wants to come. We'll close off with that. But first, we'll thank everybody. But in order to do that, I need to find my closing paper. Here it is. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Don't forget, we post on Facebook links to um, the music that we played, to the YouTube videos, and links to special stories that we speak about or spoke about during the uh, show. Please go on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Thanks to the staff of Nachum Siegel Network, especially have Rummy this week and ZK, both of whom were very helpful in trying to keep this signal up. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock with After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports. And then Novak Now with Jake Novak commenting on great well, commenting on the stories in the news from a Jewish perspective, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Yeah.
Thank you. 